A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Stop and Search. This is Breaking the News Part 2. And yep, we're on Scooby's Pips Distraction Pieces Network, in our Discord, in association with Lit UK, Butcher Point Acast. Here we go. Behind your barricades. Yeah, but how long can I stay? Behind your barricades. Where true values seldom stray. Thank you so much for joining us again. And as I said, this is Breaking the News Part 2. Breaking the news part one will be scrolling as I'm rambling on right now. So go and listen to that if you're not already. Just to remind you, our guests are Felicity Morse, who at the time was with the iNews, but now she's a freelance consultant on social media, um, life coaching, you name it, she does it. So thank you so much, Felicity, for joining us. Uh, we've had such feedback for, to Felicity's input on this as well. She, everybody's saying she's completely captivating, and I tend to agree with that. We've also got Tian and Duyeb, who I can actually say his name now, which it took me so long to do, and I was so nervous about saying it. Um, and as Tian points out, Google, it corrects everything. So put in Tian and Duyeb into Google and find his partly political broadcast, which is just a brilliant podcast. Um, I really do recommend it. It's funny. It's informative. He has amazing guests on there. Also, Andrew Doyle, who you would know from a co-writer from the Jonathan Pye character, a comedian, stand-up, playwright, writer, author now. Um, You name it, Andrew's done it. So thank you so much, guys, for joining us. And just a quick unusual shout-out to make, which we try and keep these intros quite short, but on this one, there's a bit of an unusual happening, which it kind of dovetails into what the subject matter is about in this particular podcast episode. So we're talking about social media, we're talking about mainstream media, how it integrates, what the what the swell is between the two. Well, last month, just before Christmas in November, uh, just in case you didn't know when Christmas was, we had quite a happening uh, because of one of our supporters, followers, listeners. Thank you so much to Pablo Diablo, who is a friend of ours now because he's, goodness knows, he's done well for us. He ended up calling in to talk radio because, as you may know, if you're a UK listener, Ian Lee was on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And our friend Rufus Hound took over his talk radio show for the, uh, for about a couple of weeks. So our friend Pablo Diablo, he ended up calling in and uh, raising the subject of the war on drugs and uh, happened to mention us. 
and said that he was a listener of our podcast. And uh, because Rufus is a former guest, I had a bit of a bit of a chat on there. Next thing you know, he's only Pablo's only gone and arranged one of our speakers, Annie Machon, to have a complete hour-long episode with Rufus in the studio. Um, that is just fantastic. We can't thank you enough for that, Pablo. And that's exactly everything that we've been saying in this podcast and across our channels in general is, you know, don't just agree with us, support us, help us, get us out there. You Use our work as a, as a gateway into, into a conversation. And that's exactly what Pablo did. And just out of courtesy, because it's just, you know, we can't thank him enough. If you go to Food to Watch Films by podcast, which I've been listening to, um, on Twitter, I'm just looking at it as we speak now, at FTWFB podcast. To repeat that, that's at FTWFB podcast. Um, please do subscribe because it's just the least you can do to thank Pablo for helping us out. Um, so on that note, now that I put the pressure on you to actually use this podcast for more than just listening, let's get on with this episode. Don't forget, this is Breaking News Part 2 on Stop and Search, and you know the rest. Here we go. Going back to what you were saying, uh, Andrew, of how satire has kind of evolved, and in the time that you've been doing comedy, has there been much evolution in the way that you write and deliver satire? I mean, we've always had things, examples like Have I Got News For You, Mock The Week, and things like that. Is it getting more popular? Is it getting less popular, do you know? Uh, I think satire generally is, is less common. I mean, I think um, the, I mean, how can I put that? So if you take something like Brass Eye, which was Chris Morris's uh, programme, um, that which couldn't, I, I don't believe could be made today. I don't think it would be made today it's because television's too risk averse. Um, but... Um, Ooh, I liked that. Well, what do you mean it's too risk averse? Um, okay, well... I would suggest to you that, that a number of the topics that Chris Morris broached, that a, a commissioner wouldn't even go there because they would say, well, because, because they need a guarantee that this is going to be popular before it's going to be good. So the, the popularity exceeds quality uh, in terms of what they're doing, whereas, of course, uh, Chris Morris is the master of what he did. Um, the, the, I don't think there's been anything really as, 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 as um, successful satirically since then. Maybe South Park would be an example. And I think part of the reason for that is that there's too much of a consensus in terms of opinion amongst uh, satirists or comedians. I think that there's, there's too much of a, a one-sided view on, on these things. I mean, Brexit would be a perfect example, wouldn't it? Because straight after Brexit, every comedian uh, was making really lazy jokes about Brexit voters being racist and stupid, stuff that just isn't true. And it became kind of a, a way to signal that you were good. You know, whereas with, with satire, I'm much more interested in saying the things that we're not all thinking or that people aren't generally thinking. And, of course, satire can't do that if everyone is thinking the same way or if only one perspective is perceived as acceptable and anything that's alternative is perceived as evil, which I think is what's happening at the moment because, the, because we're getting more of a polarisation of politics. So you know, left is going left. Further left is now mainstream and further right is now mainstream and therefore we don't get uh, that sort of area in the middle, which is the interesting area, I think. I mean, my favourite thing is that everybody is the underdog at the moment. Yeah. I just think it's fascinating. Everyone wants to be the victim. Yeah. You know, you know, everyone does, you know, and, and, they, and this is, this is a real problem. Yeah, it's yeah. like there's a power in it. Yeah. And yet victim and not vulnerable. Yeah, isn't that weird? Yeah, it's vulnerability. But I, I, well, I'm, I'm on this big crusade about vulnerability being like the most powerful thing at the moment because I yeah. just think 
you know, there's such power in, in rolling over because nobody else, nobody thinks that's what you're going to do. That yeah. makes it quite hard for me because comedy, essentially, or, you know, the idea of comedy is that you're punching up rather than punching down. But if everybody's the victim, then you're always punching down, no matter who you're punching at, I guess. Yeah. I think, I mean, when you were talking about comedy as well, I thought it was really interesting because one of my friends is like a spoken word poet and he did a performance somewhere and the guy was used to hosting comedy and he did his poem and there was a guy came running around just to check if he was okay because it was like deadly silence. And he was like, no, 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 that's exactly the response that I want. Yeah. Um, and he was like, uh, you know, that, like, that's terrible. Like, that would be my worst nightmare. That, that goes back to saying... Um, our podcast boss, Scroobius Pip, he, he interviewed uh, Eddie Izzard this week, and Eddie Izzard said that that on stage, when he's doing comedy, you know, that powerful laugh is what he wants, but then when he's doing drama, he wants that palpable silence, and some people find that difficult to <laughs> handle. And that's saying, strangely enough, I don't know how I'm managing to link this, but that's saying that we do in drug policy, isn't it? When you're giving presentations... <laughs> managed it kind of <laughs> tenuous but got there but when you're doing presentations i've been in the room when you have just created that not a tumbleweed moment but that complete silence just that every eye pointed at you every ear open um so you've had that experience of controlling palpable silence uh, what is that like you mean when i died <laughs> um no i mean i i I, I do try and play with some people's emotions when I, when I speak because it's, it's some emotional stuff that, that emotional stories that I'm that I'm telling and um, you know I, I want people to empathise in the same ways that that I, I used to empathise so yeah I mean it, it's it's taken a little bit of practice to do that but but yeah I mean I, I do um, you know that's that silence that death, deathly silence and slightly wide-eyed looks is what I'm after yeah but. Because um, if you've not read Neil's book, uh, Good Cop, Bad War, then I recommend it's in all good, good, well, good and bad bookshops, I suppose. But um, and there's, I, it was in Beijing as well. Someone sent me a picture in Beijing holding the book, so it's out there as well, which is you know just incredible. And Singapore, I think, strangely, which yeah. So yeah, if you know anything about drug policy, Singapore. Um, anyway, we don't talk about drug policy, do we? That's too much, but. I'm going to give you the badge test in a minute because um, Tiernan was coveting my um, school badge here. Um, I'm going to just briefly touch on drug policy because, um, Felicity, you put something on your Facebook the other day that was quite interesting about someone that suffered or the widespread problem of porn addiction right now. Yeah. And this is something that Marcus Sprigstock was talking to us about. Of He was very open about the fact that, you know, he's dealt with a lot of addictions and he's decided to cut porn out of his life. And, and this is something that, we, again, we're just not really addressing in society is these third-row issues of how they're affecting people and addiction being just this whole giant holistic picture as opposed to being good and evil, illegal, bad. Um, and this is what... You know, again, these moral panics that we have. Do you think that we are purposely pushing certain subjects like that, like porn addiction, to the side when we should be addressing them more? Yeah, and I suppose this is where it comes to vulnerability again, right? Because, you know, I've, I've, I've been commissioning a lot of stuff around porn, actually, at the moment, and it's a real interesting one. People don't share it. Um, and they do I have had some people share their experiences like in my inbox I've gone out with people who've had like 
or have felt they've been addicted to porn in a way that it has felt very difficult for them. And so I have an awful lot of empathy there. And, yeah, I don't know what my point was, really, other than it doesn't have to look passed out on the street to be causing someone pain. I mean, I suppose, I suppose we all know that, but it's just... And, I mean, I suppose the problem is that nobody really wants to talk about masturbation. So here I am, talking about it. There we go. I was, I was going to say, is there something in the... Because not, not just porn, but the whole kind of being on your phones, kind of always getting a hit of something, mm. seems to be a general addiction in society at the moment. People just needing to see something, get something, get that kind of hit of news or, or porn video, whatever it is, at all times. And I kind of... I, I find it really depressing. <laughs> like, kind of every now and then, I, kind of, I just want to look at the sea for a bit. It's quite nice. Um, you know, and uh, I feel that that's kind of... It just feels everyone's uh, very self-absorbed and very in the need for their own kind of gratification at all times. Um, which, I mean, is a big talk from a comedian who needs laughs. But, you know, it's... Um, well, I, yeah. You can see how problems start to invade comedians' lives because you're out there travelling the country and the world um, getting those big hits and those big endorphin rushes off a crowd and then all of a sudden you're in a hotel room on your own. I mean, that must be a yeah. nightmare to deal with. Two Saturdays ago, I performed to just under 2,000 people and then drove on the M4 home and stopped in Lake Delamere Station and had a Starbucks. <laughs> and you go, oh, this is a bit shit. Yeah. <laughs> it is weird. It's very weird. So is, is it a lifestyle, Andrew, that you can imagine that traps start to come in inherently within that occupation? What, being a stand-up? Uh, I think the occupation is a trap, I think, in, in many ways. No, it, it is. It's a bizarre, self-destructive uh, way to make a living because you are... It is, as you say, it's narcissistic, essentially, but it's also, self, it's also self-hating, or it is from my perspective, anyway. Um, because you, you, you put yourself in such a, a vulnerable position in terms of your ego, anyway, don't you? Because yeah, the laughter, yeah, it's great. You get those endorphins and all the rest of it, and then when it doesn't quite work, it's crushing, you know? So you, you have both sides of that. Um, so I, it's not something I'd recommend... Oh, uh, generally. Hugely antisocial hours. <laughs> Massively, uh, yeah. Massively antisocial hours. You're constantly offered, like, free beer and stuff at gigs, which is terrible if you're trying not to drink and things like that. You know, your your whole uh, health... I mean, my, my health is terrible primarily because of eating at weird hours and, you know... It's easy, so it's at not... least you're not stuck in front of a computer, though. Poor victim me. Yeah, exactly. 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 <laughs> yeah. I have you know I sit in front of a computer all day before I go outside and eat unhealthily. Um, yeah. <laughs> Are we back to the porn addiction again, Tina? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a victim because I've, 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 uh, you know, done it myself. I've chosen to do this, you know. And uh, I just think it's, um, yeah, and, and it can be really great, like sometimes. But I'm, I'm really interested though in what you say about, like, uh, particularly what you were saying about um, social media and about the way in which people need. Uh, I suppose it's a need for validation. Which might link into what you were saying about clickbait. Like, so, because when things are retweeted, you feel... Yeah, I mean, they do it on purpose, though. They've got a name for it. It's called gamification, which I said... Oh, I sw- swore at the first time somebody said that because I, I had no patience for it. Um, and uh, I was like, just tell me what's going on. Um, but, they're, they're, you know, it's meant to be addictive. Like, you, you start and you're like, right, I'm going to edit my own story. You know, you've got your bio there. You know, you've got your handle, you've got your picture, you choose it all, you're invested in it. And then you build up your own story, choosing what you want to write, what you want to say. Um, and yeah, um, how many followers do you have? You get a little heart, um, you know? It's the equivalent of like, 
it, you used to get a little bit of a buzz when phones came out and you got that little envelope, you know, when the phone <laughs> screens were still green and you're like, I've got a text. Um, and it's the same now, but they are addictive. Like, they are, because I, I mean, f- f- I've, I've had actually really big issues with it this year where I'm just getting so addicted to Twitter and when you're doing it for work as well I was like oh just like must stay on top of the news so I was like not even like reading articles I was like just like screenshotting stories and just be like come back to that later I've got like reams of reams in my phone roll of just like stories I mean like it's just mad and then um, and I go round in circles, so I do like Twitter, WhatsApp, Facebook, Facebook Messenger, Instagram. Oh, let's check the other one again. Let's check, like, go round again. Um, okay. There's a programme you can get to block all that if you need to do work. There's a programme, so, so like, for, say, for three hours, I just want to work and, and not do that cycle of checking every social media outlet you've got. I mean, I came off Facebook for the month of the Edinburgh Festival. It was brilliant. It was so liberating. After the, I mean, it is like an addiction, because the first few days I was like, I went to check it. I was like, no, 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 I'm not on it. I'm not on it. And then, and then you start to feel slightly more uh, liberated, and it's really, it's really nice. Is it an occupational hazard of, of you guys that... Yeah. The, the, being in that social media loop, you know, because you have to be quite current. Have us be on it. Like, I, I, I missed gig offers by not being on Facebook for the month, right? Stuff, mm. stuff like that. So uh, because then I had messages, phone messages, which was bizarre. Saying, "Well, I've tried to get you on Facebook. What's going on?" Um, and you also feel like you need to be tweeting regularly because it does help sell tickets and things, you know. So you you do feel obliged to be on it. But um, just to fit in with what you were saying about the way you put your Facebook page up, I mean, you are commodifying yourself. You're you're putting a product out there, even if you're not in the entertainment industry. It is a product because you only show the things about yourself that you would like people to believe about about you. So of course that's dispiriting when people don't like it. You know, when people don't come back and give you good, good feedback. Especially you, Tian, and with, with being a podcast, having to push it out there yourself because you're not getting any help in doing that. You've got to no. do it. So it must yeah. be difficult to try and get away from the social media. I, I would, oh, if I didn't have stuff to promote, I don't think I'd, I'd or I'd like to believe I'm not on it. I'd, I'd definitely be on it, but I'd like to believe I wouldn't be on it. <laughs> but like, just because all I, all I have to do is I'm gigging here, check this out, listen to the podcast. And, and the main way to get, you know, I've found Twitter incredibly useful. I mean, I've got, you know, an all right amount of followers despite not reading TV, TV or anything. And I've found that those people then do come to shows. And then those people listen to a podcast and they tell other people to listen to podcasts and then they come to shows. So it is a self generating kind of. PR machine, which is wonderful, but it's really exhausting, <laughs> and um, and it's and it's and it's relentless, um, you know. But I don't know. I think, especially in in the world where there's too much content, there's so much content. Trying to get people to notice yours is very hard work, um, and I still don't really know how you do that. There's probably a secret somewhere, but I don't know. Yeah, I just want to quick, quickly touch upon slightly linked into that how. The, the advent of social media has created characters and quite big characters at that. Um, there's a great article in Vice from about three or four years ago called The Dangers of Obverse Journalism, which is basically how journalism doesn't necessarily give balance anymore because the prime example they use is Katie Hopkins. So if you're looking for a subject matter to get two experts on, um, Drug policy being a good example, um, drug policy tends to be very weighted in our favour. Um, there's not many people that are experts that are willing to say that we shouldn't have drug policy reform. So when you seek out somebody to give the opposing side of saying, no, we should keep the laws strict and harsh and we shouldn't do this, uh, counter to our position, that can be against the balance because you're not representing the scale of what way the opinion is. Is there a danger 
in social media when we're creating these these experts that we are not giving the right amount of balance to the to certain key subjects like drug policy uh certain other third rail topics as well i could say so much about this in a, in a good way do I need to hide no 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 it's fine I mean like for example the Tories at the last election wouldn't put anybody up for any debates because they thought that would stop the BBC from having the discussion because they couldn't have balance and like it was challenge and then you have things like and then and then you have this interesting thing around shame so I wrote this article on abortions and having an abortion because um two actually but uh because you would have these ridiculously polarized discussions and nobody would there was nobody willing to like actually talk about it so just sort of having these theoretical debates um i mean it can go the other way and then somebody can have too much say because they had that experience not too much say but they can have an awful lot say because they had the experience and like they don't speak for everybody um so that could be something the other way and then and then you just have like the polarized thing so i was gonna say go on a show to talk about not minding wolf whistling and the other person was like somebody who had been sexually attacked and i was like well i'm not i'm not, I'm not saying it's one or the other you know, it's that the climate change thing, isn't it? Because it's always mm. with climate change. It's like a, it's ninety-eight, nine percent of scientists say climate change is a problem. We should, but every time it's on a TV program, there's an expert on climate change and someone who says it's definitely not happening. And you sort of go, this isn't really the right ratio. <laughs> like you should really have a hundred people who say it's happening, and then this guy who keeps walking into a glass wall because he doesn't believe it's there. You know, that would be a more correct balance. But it's, it's, yeah, it's very odd. We have that trouble, don't we? It's, it's not balanced. We're, there's, there's a lot on our side of drug policy reform and there's not a lot over on the other side and sometimes you can create the the danger of the illusion of balance when there isn't there to begin with oh yeah i mean it's always a massive bugbear whenever the bbc want to interview one of us that they always dig up some shouty person for balance and 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 they're not offering any evidence that's the thing we're offering evidence but there's no evidence to to counter it so so that's not really balanced debate because there is no debate it's just it's just someone spouting things that are clearly not true or, or making ad hominem attacks. So, yeah, is, it's, is that not because they want that? They want a sparky debate that's entertaining that people will watch and retweet? Because well, you can always find someone who has some moderate voice, really, if you look hard enough, I would have thought. Yeah, well, possibly. But I, I think with the, in the BBC case, it's just their rules because I've discussed it with so many of them and the producers before the show and, this, and they say, no, this, this, they're not thinking with an entertainment hat on. They're thinking with following th- the I, BBC rules. I think rules. it's a poor interpretation of their rules. I don't I, I think agree. it's their and that, rules. That's exactly yeah, the discussion I, I have with them. that's what they want, really. Uh, but then, like, these people... Then, then you have the other thing where these opposing people, and I think we had this... I think you had this on... Good Morning Britain the other the other week where these people are brought on just so somebody who are so clearly wrong just so the presenter can then look very good by taking them down and it's like well this this undermines everybody I feel undermined watching this guy being publicly humiliated on you mean the gay therapy yeah thing. I do yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. You know, obviously this guy is wrong obviously it's terrible but like like you know, you just brought on an idiot to call him an idiot. Yeah. Like, well like the done. the X Factor auditions or something. Yeah, I, but, yeah. Just laughing. Give some publicity because they're kind of given a platform. And then, I mean, I suppose you run the risk of feeling sorry for that person or just like, anyway, that was a total waste of time. Like, you know, why, why, 
Why? I was going to say, is any part of that the fact that we have to fill... Like, there's so much content to fill now as well. Like, I kind of feel like with 24-hour news, sometimes you sort of go, we don't need the news on now. Like, nothing's happened for three hours. No one really cares. Oh, Especially no, when there's like a royal birth or something and there's just people outside going, nothing's happened yet. And you're like, well, don't, you don't need to tell us. Mm-hmm. Just wait until something happens. No, I think there's loads going on. There's always loads to discuss. I think, I think there is a slight willy-waving problem with the media. I'm sorry. I'm being really mean about penises. But, um, <laughs> like, where... where um, uh, everybody thinks, oh, that person is doing that, therefore I must do that, therefore this must do... You know, everybody sort of copies each other. Oh, they've got that on their front page. Why don't we have that at all? Um, rather, And people don't read news like that on the internet anyway like news doesn't occur in a vacuum in the same way as you buy one paper um and you know if people spent a little bit less time just constantly replicating stuff we'd have an awful lot more interesting information yeah Yeah, is is the line being blurred between news and entertainment too much now it's always been blurred between news and entertainment i just think um it's become more obvious because of this popularity aspect of it like you know that you was, you were always going to get entertainment probably to sell. There'd probably be one interview that would sell the paper, um, and you'd get all the other stuff in. It's just you need more of that stuff, and you're losing less of the, um, I suppose, serious stuff because people 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 were never reading it. It's just now we have the data, you know. And then and then and then and then I was speaking to somebody at who was like, well, we will commission this stuff, but nobody will read but we feel we have to commission it and it's like well that's no good either because well done for paying the journalist but if nobody's reading it like what's the point you have to get really skilled at getting people to read it that's the point if you can't get people to read it like you know you put it on your homepage for all you want but it's only there to make you feel good all right i'm going to go in with the um, million dollar question now and again you don't feel you have to give any kind of coherent argument to this but I'm going to start you first here and what, what is your opinion on drug policy? My opinion on drug policy, uh, the limited knowledge that I have of it. Bearing in mind, there's a badge in it for oh you. Oh god, I, I really want the badge, it's like it's from a tiny policeman um, <laughs> he just what happened, he's so small so uh, I, I don't know I've, I've always thought that the uh, it, it, it's always, as we discussed, the kind of fear and outrage. There is one death from one drug and suddenly that becomes a thing that all of those are bad and that that one particular drug is bad rather than perhaps something else happened or, you know, it's not that... I, I, I sort of... I haven't done drugs in quite some time. I used to a bit. I had a lovely time. Um, and uh, I generally sort of realised that a lot of people are careful, a lot of people... I think, if anything, if there was more regulation and there were safer ways to do it, then I, wouldn't, I don't see why there's such a problem about it. I think it, it, sometimes that the, the headlines to make people scared about it are just because that feeds people's want that, for them to be bad, you know? Um, I just... I, several years ago... Uh, the thing I always think of, it, several years ago, um, oh, 2001, I went to a big rave in the Czech Republic and, uh, and they had a pill-testing tent there. And everyone would go to the rave with their drugs and they'd take it into a tent and somebody would scrape the little pill and go, do you know what? That one's great. Have a lovely time. Or, oh, God, don't take that. It's terrible. And nobody died. Everyone had an amazing weekend. (laughs) And you sort of go, why don't we do that here? Like, that's so sensible. That's not stopping anyone from having the weekend they want to have. It's, you know, it just, why can't we have more sensible implements like that? 
that's my limited knowledge on it, but that's how I feel about it. I think that deserves a badge, don't you? Yeah. Yes, and, and a round that's of all applause, I wanted. I think. There you go. Thanks very much. And I think, I think Henry's left now, but Henry is one of the uh, chief scientists that does, does actually do pill testing. They, they've gone across with the loop, the festivals all of this year. Most, most festivals, there's been a few that they've not been allowed at. And, and they found some weird stuff in there in, in the drugs testing. Yeah, anti-malaria tablets sold as uh, crushed up and sold as cocaine. Yeah, there's con- yeah, powdered concrete in, in something else. It's not something you want to be snorting, really. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, again, I'm going to put you on the spot, Andrew. It, there is a badge. Is it the same question? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> again, you don't have to come up with anything that, you know... I will, well, I'll preface it by saying that I'm open to persuasion, um... But my feeling about it is that I would be probably for a wholesale decriminalization across the board. The reason being that I think we could learn a lot from prohibition uh, because after, uh, after prohibition, uh, the gangs were, had no power whatsoever and they were wiped out. I think you'd wipe out an entire criminal industry, my instinct suggests. I think you could, you could in, under, uh, overnight, like these people would have another, these are people targeting kids, targeting uh, vulnerable people. Um, sophisticating the drugs with, with, um, with unpleasant substances, with dangerous substances. I mean, all of this, I think, would, would go, and then it would be down to the individual to choose what to put into their own body. And my, my, I would suggest that's a better situation than what we have. So if you know it's a self-destructive thing, we do it anyway with alcohol, don't we? Um, but, you, but you want to do that to your own body, you should be allowed to do that, I think. Well, I think that deserves a badge as well. Definitely. That was a good answer. That was, that was very good. 
Yeah, I think we would agree with that, wouldn't you, Neil? Yeah, I think so. Definitely right about the uh, criminal networks. Definitely. Yeah, Neil's the guy to speak to about the criminal networks. Being a former undercover, um, I'm pretty sure that you've got lots of tales yet to still tell on, on just how bad it is out there, really. And uh, Felicity, do I put you on the spot? Well, I think you were saying that you're the expert, is that right? <laughs> so yeah, I don't I was know. Say I'm not. Well, I, I, I really, I really don't know enough to be honest. I know that I massively abuse alcohol, nicotine, caffeine. Are there any others that are legal? Anything on prescription? Absolutely. I'll take. Yeah, <laughs> mostly. If it doesn't, if it doesn't, uh, if it doesn't interact with the other ones. Um, we won't judge if it's illegal. No, no, it's amnesty here. You know, bring it all out to the forum. Um, amnesty on this okay. recorded podcast that will be available to the public. I think, I, think, I think things start to go wrong when you... There's a mix, isn't there? Because you need, you need to look at what is rather than what you would like it to be, right? That's how you should treat the world. So you do what is best for the way humans are rather than the way that you would want them to be. So would you be open to looking at the evidence and deciding from there? Yeah, as, like, as I, I think should. like you have to look at what is what is least harmful, really. See, that's harm reduction, isn't it? That's something that we completely subscribe to. Always go for the lowest common denominator in harm, and uh, chances are you got the right policy. So I think I think that's uh, an open-minded badge, don't you? Yeah, go on in. I think we can do that. Thank you. <laughs> So, have we got questions from the audience? There must be at least one that we can um, field. So, there we go. Well done. Thank you for that. What's your name? Hi. Um, so, I'm just trying to find the words to sort of articulate this properly. But um, a couple of <clears throat> really interesting points were brought up earlier. Um, first one that springs to mind is the sort of different channels that we use, you know, saying that the... the I guess, audio stuff, audio stuff um, generally is less powerful than the written word or, or visual media, um, possibly due to the way that we're generally wired as human beings. Um, and clearly, you know, within the media, there are political agendas that need to be pushed or want to be pushed by different publications. Um, do you think there is any kind of correlation between, um, not not perhaps not so much the political side of things, but do you think that there is a sort of curated way uh, that different publications will give different people or different topics certain channels only to communicate through because they know that will either inhibit or promote um, you know, a certain type of discussion or a certain type of uh, reach for the topic, if you like? Um, and why do you think it's that way and how do you think it might change in the future? You mean like sort of how the Alex Jones Infowars kind of thing is just specifically on YouTube? Yeah, like so, I mean, okay, case in point here, the, the discussion we're having tonight, it's going to be on a podcast. It's happening in real life, it's going to be published on a podcast. Chances are you wouldn't have as balanced and open-minded a discussion on, say, a YouTube channel or certainly a television show. You might on a radio panel discussion, but why is that? Is it is it just political? Is it just to... You know, limit. Um, is that because that's just you know that's what society is comfortable with, and no one's challenging it enough, or is there sort of a more 
um, sinister reason behind it. I, I, I genuinely have no opinion. I'm just interested. I don't think there's any agendas. I think it's just the way that we are. Like, the, you know, we feel freer when it's a smaller group of people. Mm -hmm. um, I think. And also, I, I, the thing, I don't think audio is less powerful. I think it is just harder to make it go viral. But why? Surely it means that it's being paid, had less attention paid to it than more visual or... No, it's not. I mean, like, um, it's, it's not. I mean, you'll, you'll find there'll be loads of... Um, there'll be a huge amount of, like, Radio 2 listeners, you know? So it's very popular on radio. It's just not... The internet doesn't like it as much. And I imagine that's because of the way people use the internet. It's not, it's, I suppose it's not very interesting to kind of stare at a computer and click on audio and do nothing else. Is it, you know, you kind of... Mm, I think it's also because of sharing. So when you're sharing, you're saying, like, it's very... It's like, look at this, or something like that. You know, even with, like, long articles, people just clip the bit they like. And then... Mm. Um, and YouTube doesn't really share that well to Twitter or Facebook, but that's because of algorithmic reasons. I mean, there's all sorts of things at play here, like all sorts. Like, say, for example, the reason Facebook likes video is because you can put adverts in front of it, which cost more money on a video than they do on, uh, what is it, words, right, articles, yeah. <laughs> text. So also, there also must be a kind of, an, is there an age factor of kind of who uses what, and so what's targeted at each age range i'm asking yeah. that as a question from someone no who's a there's paper, trends yeah. as well and i was going to bring this up earlier like um younger people have much tend to have much smaller social networks and are much more into chat apps than maybe our generation um because like they, they talk to each other that way and so, so more, more whatsapp and things like that rather than snapchat Facebook, whatsapp yeah. yeah messengers <laughs> Is that sort of half answered it? Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, I, uh, to be honest, I don't really know what an answer would be that would satisfy. Well, I, I find it really interesting. Like, what I find amazing about Jonathan Bay is because you mainly do it on YouTube, don't you? Or no, you... Facebook. Oh, is it Facebook? Yeah. Oh, because I found out about it through what, YouTube. What right, yeah, because that's interesting. Because I found, I found that I, I originally started my podcast on YouTube, but I found it very hard to make people sit and watch it in one go I'd get people kind of go they'd watch the first few minutes and they come back to it whereas I find as we talked about earlier podcast people invested and they go right I'm going to listen to this now this is my journey to work it will be my company so I found YouTube a much harder method to get people's attention but then as I was sort of mentioned earlier that there's a lot of kind of right-wing press in the US that's doing incredibly well via YouTube but maybe that's because of its kind of direct talking at people attitude I don't know what it is that that works like that. It's because of the algorithms on Facebook. It comes up on people's news feeds if they think that you will be interested or if people you like have liked it and all that sort of thing. So it's much, much easier to share things through Facebook. I guess, sorry, just one last... Like, I feel like this might be a red, bit of a moot red herring point here, but, like... Pitch it. <laughs> okay, so you're saying audio is not as powerful, right? No, no I no. said it's not. It do, it's harder to make it, it go sorry, viral. Sorry, you're saying it's not, not as powerful. Right, okay. So It's harder it's to make it go viral. The, the internet likes it less. Social media is harder to share. Sorry, I'm being really... I'm, I'm just not controlling my tone well. Um, but it's just much harder to share it. Problems with audio. It's just much harder to... <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right. So, like, the, the, so you, I, I write for a living. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. But, like... Okay, so Foreign Jack of the TV show, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, it's an, in its original format. Would that have been as popular as it was if it didn't have the visual element attached to it and it was just an audio, um, like, because arguably that's where the content is, right? That it's, it's, it's the sounds it's, that he's making, it's the impression. You get so many TV shows started out as, or so many, uh, maybe not so much now, but there were a lot of TV shows that you start out as radio shows, got popular on radio and then would go to TV to reach a much wider audience. So like Mighty Boosh started out as a radio show, League of Gentlemen. So it's almost as if you kind of go, well, this smaller group will like it. I think it's, yeah. I wonder if it's just knowing where the audience is mm. and how to reach no, people. I there. think it's really interesting because I think with the advent of podcasts and you're saying, you know, like generational preferences and things like that, um, I, I, you know, will more audio forms of media, whether they be podcasts or radio shows or, you know, whatever else comes, will they sort of gain traction, become more popular as um, people, you know, of the younger generations get older? So you, you have this. Do you think then that will change the sort of dynamic of how media is? Yeah, the one major difference, there's a lot of similarities between print and online media. The one major difference that we have online is this concept of peer reviewed news, which is basically like, it's basically like the popular comes to the top. You know, you would never have. You would never see that. You would never just the most the the most read. So you click on it just because it's most read. You know, you just want to look at what other people are looking at. It's, it's, a, it's a weird phenomenon that... I think that's a real danger, actually, that, the, the thing about algorithms and about most read. And I think I'm particularly uh, worried about YouTube and Google and Facebook. I mean, these people are uh, open about their uh, discriminatory practices. So you'll find um, on YouTube recently lots of uh, Republican or right-wing uh, people have been demonetized and seen their videos demonetized because their political view doesn't uh, fall in line with Silicon Valley. People like Diamond and Silk, uh, for instance, who are pro-Trump, but they never swear. There's nothing offensive about anything they say. They're just pro-Trump. Most of their videos have been demonetized uh, by YouTube, and therefore they won't be popping up all the time. People won't be seeing these videos very often. And what you end up with is an echo chamber. You end up with uh, everyone who goes to YouTube or Google or Facebook. I mean, Zuckerberg was caught on a hot mic. Uh, saying something to Angela Merkel about this, about we're going to make certain certain points if you aren't seen. He did say this. Now, this this what will happen is you'll you'll have to end up with other platforms springing up, um, and then you'll get more polarization. You know, everyone on on the liberal left will go to YouTube, and everyone on the right will go over here. And because everyone on the right is called a Nazi by the liberal left, even though they're not, they're going to get more resentful and go over there. I think this is a real real problem. Um, so I think what maybe more channels. Uh, more alternative platforms, maybe podcasts, maybe audio, whatever, will have to spring up to combat what is effectively a form of stealthy censorship. Well, there's also a thing with, with, with YouTube, like whatever your video is, I found this last time, I ages ago, and tried to post a video. If you want it to appear in the sidebar of any other video, you've now got to pay for that. It doesn't appear automatically, unless you've got very good tags or something, it's very, it will appear a lot less than it used to. There was a point where you put, anyone could put anything on YouTube and it would appear on the front page and do everything, and now you have to pay for Google Ads in order to get it noticed. And that's quite bad. Whereas, I mean, the joy but of podcasting is anyone could do. do you not think you should have to pay for that? I mean, somebody's got to pay for it. But the more and payment then, there is, then the more scope there is for people pushing external agendas through those fora, no? Well, also, if you're YouTube not, get if money you're not willing the... to pay for it, somebody has to pay for it. But then, but then YouTube also earn money from the adverts that they put in front of the videos anyway. Yeah, but do you know how much? Like, Google might oh, make something minimal, off yeah. it, but, like, nobody's making any money sure. off it. I think they're doing all right, though, aren't they, Google? Yeah, I think, think, I think, I've, heard, I've heard they're all right, yeah. <laughs> I think Google are. But they own YouTube, don't they? Yeah. That's why Facebook, that's why Facebook <laughs> doesn't like it. Okay. 
It's all getting very, it sort of reminds me of like the Greek gods or something, you know? I love the Greek gods. <laughs> yeah. Bring it back. That's got very sophisticated, <laughs> isn't it? We that never have this kind of sophistication on it. Oh, anybody else got a question? This is a great one down there. Thank you for that. There must be someone else. Come on. Here we go. Well done at the back there. Hi, my name's Ryan. I guess um, I've really appreciated all of uh, what you've contributed and talked about this evening. Um, my question is how much time you spend uh, thinking about how do I reach my audience versus how much you spend on what the platforms want you to do in order to satisfy the algorithm of where they want the audience to go. And how much do you create the content knowing where their audience is today versus where the audience is going to be? So, for example, you know, Facebook wants to become a TV channel. They're underpricing ads for video. So if you create rich media video captioned, you'll have far more reach than if you just do text and copy. Does that come into your own equations for your own causes, news channel, com comedy? Um, I mean, this is, an, this is uh, you, you've hit on an age-old question in terms of art generally. And so comedians, uh, for instance, it depends what type of comedian you want to be. If you want to, if you want to say things, if, for instance, if I decided tomorrow I'm going to just do jokes um, uh, about Jeremy Corbyn and, and but how great Nigel Farage is and, how, and brilliant Nigel, I know that I'm committing career suicide there. I know that that's happening. So you, ha you, 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 I think for me, luckily I don't have that view, right, you know. But for, but for me, it's just um, I think just do what you want to do creatively and see which way the wind falls. And uh, that, that's, that's always been my approach, rather than trying to anticipate what the zeitgeist is, is going to be. But you're absolutely right, there's commercial concerns with, with, every, with everything you do. So it's, I suppose it's a, it's a balance, really. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example of the, the, the video I mentioned earlier. I won't keep going on about it, but the, the Trump video we did, because it was attacking the left. It was saying the left got it wrong, and that's why Trump won. That was the, the thrust of this video that went viral in America. Um, Tom and I said to each other after we'd written it, I promise you, we said, this is going nowhere. No one's going to share this. And this was the one that 140 million or whatever. Like, so that's, that's the difference, right? We did not, it, we just did what we wanted to do. And that happened to work. And I, and I think that if, if, if I, as a stand-up, for instance, if I go out of my way to just try and appeal and be popular, I reckon the quality would be diminished, I think. And then maybe it wouldn't do as well anyway. Maybe I'm wrong, I don't know. Well, also, I think you have more competition if you try and be popular because everybody's trying to be popular. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing. Yeah. Fuck the algorithm. That's what I say. <laughs> like, social media is, like, made up of people. If you're trying to talk to people, um, try and do that as effectively as possible. Yeah. No, I, I, I think I'd make what you want to make. I mean, the, the only... I don't know if that counts in your question. Like, God, the, I spent far too long yesterday trying to add tags to my podcast so that it might be found in searches. <laughs> but there's things like that that I try and be aware of that I'm not very good at. Um, there's a thing that I've started doing, titling your podcast so people might... I used to just write episode 72 or whatever, and now I have to write, like, what this week is Boris is Boris or whatever, you know. In some sort of... You kind of hope that it might be more appealing to, a, to the eye, but that doesn't mean its content is in any way changed to work for a different audience. Like, I've made the content I want to make, but it's about labelling it. And, or I, I try and spend some time in making sure that I can get people to see it, but I don't... I, I haven't got a clue what There's I'm doing. There's this anti-trend so. as well. So, like, Reddit is almost made to make it as difficult as possible to use. I can't, no, I don't I understand can't Reddit. No, I, no idea. I've looked at it. I don't understand. I'm yeah. going to do some social media training soon. OK. But, <laughs> um, so, Reddit, and then even Private Eye... 
is like, could you make the tax any smaller? Yeah, well, they're not even online, are they? They, they're, they, they don't, online. they're not online. None of their stuff has headlines on it. Like, what the hell? Yeah, they're trying to weed out the riffraff, though, aren't they? Isn't that what it is? They, they, want, a, they, want, <laughs> <laughs> they want a sophisticated audience. Because yeah. there, there's one author, I can't remember who told me, there's an author who'd written a book and the first 30 pages were deliberately incomprehensible. They, it was, you had to really work at it. And when asked why, he said, because I wanted to keep cunts out of my book. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. I'm just saying, that might be intellectual no, snobbery. Maybe that's just an anecdote, though. Maybe he just... <laughs> I had it from a good source. <laughs> but is there also a thing of like, these things, like Private Eye was from has been around for a while and has t had time to build. Like, I think of the, the, uh, the comic Daniel Kitson, who people know in the comedy industry, because he's been going, I think, I can't remember when he got award nominated, like 2001, 2002, and he doesn't ever do any social media or anything. He gets he sells out on the basis of his mailing list because people know they're only going to see him if they go see him live. But he also started before social media really kicked off. So I don't know if he'd still... I mean, he'd still be as talented, but I don't know if he'd be able to do it as well now. We've got... We've gone back to this, like, be authentic thing, haven't we? That's the well, message, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but then that's what be I'm saying is, yourself. do you still yeah. have to... Yeah, like, would if it If you're still... a penis, be a penis and you might become president. Quite. <laughs> <laughs> as long so, as you're authentically shit. Are you suggesting we're being pro-Trump inadvertently? We... I'm playing devil's advocate. <laughs> <laughs> well handled. Anybody else got a question? There must be one more. Come on, we can do one more shortly. No? Yeah, well done. You're the brave one. What's your name, by the way? Hi, I'm Lena. Um, so I think that the internet is like quite a hateful place, right? So there is this development that I really like at the moment, which is positive news. And... I wonder if you, like personally, have experienced, and also you guys in drug policy reforming, because it has to be quite solution-driven, um, if you put out pieces, because I think a lot of the pieces are like, okay, here's the fault, here's the blame, um, but if you put out pieces and say, this is what we can do to make things better, especially in drug policy reforming, um, do you get a better resonance with that or do you have has to be obvious easy to grasp within someone's reach and hopefully they can just do it by sharing the article <laughs> so it couldn't be like a long piece that explains no it, it can it can it can of course it can but like there needs to be an obvious takeaway from it discussions don't work very well on the internet. You know, you have to be able to to take something away. There has to be, like, a reason, a purpose. People need to feel satisfied at the end of it. Um, the other, yeah. So, but that means people are going to be more satisfied if they have someone yeah. to blame and... No, 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 they can be satisfied with, like, a solution as well. I mean, we did, we did an article recently that was, like... Um, on like five concrete things you could do to help the refugee crisis and it did very well. Yeah, okay. But they have to be like obviously flagged up, written in, it just has to be super clear because I think some of these things are often written in a way where people, you know, they don't have enough impact and people have, it's, it's impact really, rather than um, positive or negative. It's like how much impact can you have? 
Yeah, it's, it's sort of allowing people to be helpful because there's so many issues that are too big for people to have any... And that's where I feel a lot of political disillusionments come from, people going, we can't do anything about this, what's the point? And no-one understands us. And so I guess you have to kind of give people something that makes them go, right, I can actually do this, or I can actually get on board with this. Is yeah, that... I mean, that's right, and it's using clear language, and it's not talking in jargon, and, yeah, it's, it's putting things in, like, sort of sentences. You know, sometimes the BBC does this explainers, and I feel... Like, I can't understand it, which is not really the point of an explainer, because they've, they've gone too chunky. Sure. And that kind of rolls back into the previous conversation, because what you were saying about, you know, when you put things out there, sometimes you can't call it, can you? You think, as you said, you can tag it all up and do all the right things, but you just don't get the hits. And then there are things you just think, like what you said, Andrew, about uh, the Trump one, you pump it out there, and that's the one that gets you the attention. You just can't call it sometimes. It's just, it's just whatever it is, you know, the, the zeitgeist, lap of the gods, whatever it may be. That can be frustrating, can't it? Yeah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Damn. The amount of times you spend ages going, oh, I've nailed this joke on Twitter, and then it goes nowhere, and then you put up something, the spelling mistake that isn't funny, and it does well, and you go, shit, <laughs> how has this happened? So unfair. <laughs> Uh, right, I'm, we're going to wrap up. So, thank you so much, guys, for doing this. Um, Andrew, where can we see you? What are you doing? What's, what's the general picture with Jonathan Pye, you, everything that's going on? Uh, well, if I haven't plugged it enough already, which is terrible. Uh, we, yeah, there is a tour on Jonathan Pye tour, uh, which will be early next year, and tickets are on sale now. Um, and we have a book called Jonathan Pye Off the Record, which is out on October the 5th, which is available to pre-order. So please do... Um, I have just come back from the Edinburgh Fringe, so I don't have any stand-up shows coming up for the next month, which I'm really pleased about. And I, I saw nice. uh, Jonathan Pye and Andrew in Canterbury, I think it was last year when you was touring, and absolutely amazing. I'm not just saying that because you're there, but as you said, you was, you're a different character in your stand-up to what you are tonight. You, know, you, you said you were quite... You, you know, trying the boundaries of the room, and and it was just brilliant. I just really, really oh yeah, on stage, it. I'm a complete bitch. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, yeah. Maybe it happened tonight. I don't know, but but yeah. I wouldn't say so, would you? I don't think Andrew's been a bitch. No, <laughs> no. And Tiernan, what can we expect from you? Partly political broadcast. What can we uh, do? That's the podcast. Partly political broadcast. Please do sign up uh, and have a listen. Um, I'm doing loads of stuff. The trick is you've got to spell my name to find any of it. So uh, Tiernan Duyeb, D-O-U-I-E-B. I, I mean, if you throw it into Google, it tends to correct you, which is good. Um, so uh, see, Google's all right sometimes. Um, but yeah, I've got loads of gigs on loads of other bits. Uh, I've got comedy specials on nextupcomedy.com uh, it's worth a plug because they're brilliant um, and I'm relentlessly on Twitter if you want that sort of thing all the time and that's, I've gotten good at writing your name but I still can't pronounce it so we're never going to resolve this are we? no it's an endless problem <laughs> and you said it so quickly then I didn't hear it again it's T and Dueb D-O-U-I-E-B yeah the problem is is that if I changed it like people can't get it but if you google me there's only me so that's probably alright isn't it I prefer that. I finally uh, bumped Felicity Morse from Massachusetts, who was arrested for prostitution, onto page three. Yes! <laughs> Only Excellent took work. seven years. <laughs> Admittedly, admit, if she hasn't had a hard enough life already, I was you have just made it worse. But, you know. No, it wasn't me. So apart from that, apart from bumping uh, number three Google, uh, what, what was going, what, where can oh, we find you, Felicity? Message me on Twitter or Facebook. I'm just Felicity Morse. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, then if you go to the cast link, all of this will scroll underneath so you can click on them. 
Can you give a massive round of applause to our three guests? Well, again, I was genuinely fascinated by that. I know I say it every time, but I was. Uh, I always forget that I took part in a conversation during the editing process and listened to it all over again, which is either I've got a terrible memory or it is a good conversation. Um, I hope it's the latter. So a few thank yous. Uh, keep the outro short. Thank you to John, our social media guy. He has been brilliant this year, done so much for us. Thank you to John Harris from the Dream um, Factory podcast, which is a brilliant podcast in its own right, but also thank you so much for everything you've done for us on the social media front on uh, the Distraction Pieces Network. Thank you so much, John. Also, thank you to Nicky, the producer, who has poured half of his life into this podcast now. Yeah, we, we, we really do spend that much time on it. Uh, and Tristan as well. Thank you, Tristan. I'm going to call you Tristan, the producer as well, because you spent so much time on this as well. Um, and, of course, you can find us on social media at UK Leap. We, uh, that's Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on UKLeap.org on Facebook and UKLeap.org on the internet. Right. Um, again, another big thank you to Pablo Diablo from Food to Watch Films by Podcast. Thank you so much again for doing what you did for us, which... I mentioned at the start of this. I think that's it. Don't forget, if you want to attend a live show, there are so many that you can. Just keep an eye open on our channels. But also, we we get requested to tour this, uh, and we're going to do our best. We're going to try. No promises. But we would like to take it on the road. So, you know, keep your fingers crossed. We'll do what we can. But thank you so much for supporting us and listening and just getting involved it really does help us out so thank you and we'll see you again soon bye behind your barricades yeah but how long can I stay behind your barricades where true love seldom stray What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.